Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. I want us to take just a few moments here and we're going to watch that video. Uh, We're going to watch a video that kind of describes what we're going to be talking about this month. Praise the Lord. Amen. Are you willing to make this journey? I'm going to need your permission today. I'm going to need your permission to come right down where you live. I'm not going to stand out on the street and speak to you. But the word of the Lord needs to walk down the sidewalk of our home and our heart and knock at our heart's door. Amen. Because we're going to talk about some real truth today. In verse number 40, the Bible says the disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. The English Standard Version of of this same verse says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And so uh, with that, I want to speak to you today. My subject is everyone is a disciple. Everyone is a disciple. And so I want you to know that I'm not just speaking just to a few people today. But I believe the Lord wants to speak to every one of us. No matter how long you may or may not have been serving the Lord. No matter how young or old you may be spiritually or physically. The Spirit of the Lord would speak to our heart today. In, in the, the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, we're told that Paul, on his missionary journey, has come to Ephesus. And um, when we begin reading in Acts 19, we're not even out of verse 1 before we are introduced to the group of people that Paul meets in this particular portion of his journey. Now, this group of people that Paul meets was not a run-of-the-mill band of men, but these were specifically the disciples of John the Baptist. Since Paul was on a missionary journey, he wasn't there in Ephesus just to shake hands and hold babies. He wasn't running for any political offices, but... Paul was there to propagate the gospel to people who had uh, never heard that. And so he understood his marching orders. He certainly understood the mission at hand. Verse number 2 opens with a very pointed question that deserved an answer. And so Paul says to this group of men, "Have Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now we may think that's a little bit too direct of a question to somebody that you just met two minutes ago. But Paul understands the power of the mission. And so when he meets these men, he asks, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Now, Paul, we may think in our minds should have warmed them up a little bit more before jumping off into the deep end, but God knew what he was doing. And God understood Uh, the audience here and he knew more about this band of of disciples than anyone in this setting because this was not a ragtag band of men 
They had no prior training. These were not just a group of wanderers, not at all. This group understood what it was like to be led by a true leader. So in, in verse number three, Paul asked how they were baptized. And so we're, I mean, we're getting straight away into the conversation. They've just met. <laughs> Have you received the Holy Ghost since you were baptized? They haven't heard of their Holy Ghost. He said, well, then how were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Paul, understanding well their answer, followed up with some reminders and some instructions. He reminded them of their past training. He said to them, John merely baptized with the baptism of repentance. Amen. He reminded them of the beginning message of their own leader. And then he said that John told them that they should believe on him that should come after him, that is Christ Jesus. And so Paul is reminding them of their past. Verse number 5 and 6 says, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now, there's no doubt in my mind, if we know anything about their leader, that this group of men were accustomed to straightforward leadership. They were not made of porcelain. They had to have thick skin if you're going to be a follower of John the Baptist because they had been trained by a very strong leader. These were the disciples of not just a run-of-the-mill man, but a man that God used to, to, to introduce the change of a dispensation. John had a strong and personal disciplines in his own life and he required nothing less of those strong disciplines in the lives of those men who followed him. John had created an atmosphere in truth where only the strong could survive. Amen. John was on a mission and his passion drove him forward in his assignment. And we were introduced to John, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but we're introduced to John, and the Bible portrays him in some degree as almost a madman. He wasn't really a madman. He wasn't a lunatic by any stretch of the imagination. But he was a man that understood his mission. He had a passion, a passion that came across. So if we, all, if we were to fast forward time, and if we were just to move uh, about two decades forward, we're going to find ourselves in, our, in, our, in the book of Acts chapter 19. Now, their leader had died. Uh, some might even say an untimely but certainly a tragic death. Twenty years later, the Apostle Paul finds these disciples of John. I think it's incredible to understand that when, John, when Paul found the disciples of John, that they were still holding fast to the teachings of their leader. That should not be a point that's lost to us that they were still walking in the light that they understood. Amen. There's something commendable to be, to be said about this, that they were still holding on to the teachings of John the Baptist. John the Baptist came on the scene like the 4th of July fireworks. He broke 400 years of silence with a message that completely shattered the religious ideas of their day. John the Baptist was not just sure of himself, but he was sure of the God that 
that had sent him on this mission. And there's no doubt in anyone's mind that not only did John come with a powerful message, but he had a powerful anointing to match that message because God was going to use him to change and to introduce this new dispensation of grace. He had emptied out the synagogue within, within walking distance. Everybody was flocking to hear this man called John the Baptist. They had heard of his attire. They had, there's even notes of, of, his, of his diet in the scripture. And so when we think about this man who was seemingly out here on this ragged edge, people poured out into the wilderness to hear him preach under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. So now, even though these disciples of John find themselves two decades later in Ephesus, they are continuing to walk in the teachings of John. I think there was something deep within their hearts. I think something significant within their heart that was still searching and still trying because John said, there's one coming after me who is mightier than I. Amen. When he comes, follow him. When he comes, he's going to come with the Holy Ghost and fire. I can only baptize you under repentance, but there's one coming. And so there was this constant, um, there was this constant assurance of John the Baptist. He kept lobbing truth forward. There's something coming. There's someone coming. And so while they held fast for 20 years for a promise, 20 years of silence waiting for this message to come to them. Amen. There was something in them. They were hungry and thirsting after the Spirit of God. Can I tell you today that no matter who you are or no matter what your background may be or have been, that we are where we are today because there is something in our heart that just kept hungering after more, after more. I say this with great deference today to anyone in this house that I'm thankful for the Spirit of God that keeps drawing us. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost that illuminates and it will lead us into all truth. Amen. And so if you don't understand all truth today, just keep walking. Just keep holding on. to. Don't give up what you already know. Don't lay down where you've already been. Don't. Don't discount the battles that you've already won. Just keep holding on and walking. And the Spirit of the Lord, His Holy Spirit in us will illuminate more truth. Don't try to stay home and figure it out. Amen. Don't try to just get on Facebook and figure it out. Amen. But we need to stay in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Keep yourself exposed to some good, sound Bible teaching and the light of the glorious gospel, not the light of Hatchman Apostolic Church, not the light of Steve Boyd, not the light. No, no, no. I'm talking about the light of the Lord. He can illuminate our minds and our hearts, and he will show us in which path we should walk. Amen. So now they're being approached by Paul. There's no telling what they've already heard about Paul. His reputation, no doubt, had gone before him. Amen. They had heard about this man that had been a murderous man and now converted. Perhaps there was a little bit of concern in their heart. There would have been in mind, to, to say the least, to make sure that what I had heard was true. Amen. But now they're learning to, that Paul truly has been converted. Amen. They were thrilled to learn that indeed there is something more. There is something to answer the call of the Spirit of God that cries in my life. That's not to say, that is not to say that the baptism of repentance that was preached by John the Baptist was wrong. It just wasn't complete. 
And so can I tell you today that there's more. Amen, there is more. I wake up with a great understanding every day that God's word holds more for me. And so I wanna pray and say, Lord, open my eyes and let me see the truth of your word. Amen, I I want you to reveal it to me, Lord, so that I can see it and that I can share it with others. There was just something gnawing in their spirit that said there was something more. And you know what? There was something more. They realize now in this moment of time that they can be baptized for the remission of their sins in the name of Jesus Christ and be filled with the Holy Ghost. No sooner had they heard this news than they were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. The disciples of John the Baptist had found a new leader and that new leader's name was Paul. What a miracle it was for Paul to discover these elders in Ephesus. He didn't find them just sitting idly by, but he found them faithful to the message that they knew and they had heard so many years ago and had stayed so faithful to. Amen. So they had not received further revelation or further instruction. They walked in the light that they knew to, to that they knew to walk in. And I'm thankful today for people that are walking in the light that they know to walk in. But can I tell you today, amen, don't ignore the light that'll take you further. Don't ignore the light that'll take you deeper. Don't ignore the power of the Holy Ghost that can cause you to have an experience like none other. Amen. Think about that. Paul found them walking in the only truth that they knew, but they were still walking. Their determination to hold on to the baptism of John, to me, I think, speaks volumes about the power of what it is to make disciples. Jesus defined what it, what it meant to be his disciple. And so it's, uh, you need to probably buckle in here just a little bit. It's going to be a little turbulence, perhaps. Amen. Jesus defined without question, without clearing his throat, he required his disciples to be subservient in every other relationship and fully devoted to him. Now, words like that in the 21st century, words like subservient and obey, submit, amen, those are words that just don't digest very well in the world that we live in because we've let Burger King convince us that we can have it our way. But that, is, that may be true of the king, but it is not true of the king of kings. Amen. It may be true of the king of burgers, but not the king of kings. The king of kings, we're going to have to do it his way. Amen. And so uh, we're gonna, we live in this society that says live and let live. We live in a society that says if it feels good, do it. We live in a society that said it's none of your business and all of mine, what I do. And it doesn't affect you, but in fact it does because we are all connected. But Jesus spoke. Amen. In Luke 14 and 26, I want them to put it on the screen so you don't think I'm making this up. Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Well, I'm not joining that club. Amen. What if we, we, we introduced this afternoon a brand new ministry of our church and here's the requirements. You've got to hate everybody in your life. Uh, some of you went down the wrong alley with that. <laughs> some of us well, hey, I might be interested. <laughs> Sign me up. That's not what I'm talking about. You've got to put some distance. There's going to have to be, you're going to love me and me alone. That's what Jesus was talking about. Amen. Jesus wasn't in the business of winning friends and influencing people. He was in the business of making disciples. 
And he demanded that his disciples carry a cross. In Luke 14, 27, he said, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And I'm gonna tell you in the kingdom of God, there's no room for sissies. There's no room for people that just wanna ride, just sit in the back seat, roll down the window, throw our arm out. Amen, no, no, no. He said, if you wanna be my disciple, you're gonna have to get under the burden of this. Take up my cross. It's gonna have to gnaw into your flesh. I believe that the lostness of mankind in the hour that we live in, it ought to press into our spirit when we are laying down to sleep and that ought to be the first thing on our mind when we wake up in the morning. God, help me today. Put your word in my mouth. Let my light be a light. Let my life be a light and let my heart and my testimony be an example for others around me. In, in the 33rd verse of chapter 14, he went on to say, he said, likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Pretty tough application here. Man, this is a pretty tough sign up. He placed another expectation upon his disciples. That expectation, I think, is very critical for us to not only hear this morning, so are you hearing me? So it's not only important for us to hear this this morning, but it's important for us to receive what I'm about to say this morning. John expected and Jesus expected that they would follow this disciple-making model and go make their own disciples. A disciple who does not make disciples is not a true disciple. I mean, that's like calling somebody a wonderful chef that doesn't even own a stove. You don't even have a kitchen in your house. We certainly are not going to be able to crown you as a chef. We're not going to be able to call you the greatest cook if you don't even own anything to cook with. And so how can we call ourselves a disciple of Jesus Christ if we are not disciple makers? When Jesus gave the command in Matthew 28, 19, go and teach all nations, the literal translation of that passage says this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's clear expectation was that every follower would obey him and so he said to his disciples in John 14 and 15 if you love me keep my commandments the word keep means obey there's another one of those tough words in our in our in our world amen it, to put it plainly true disciples obey now the idea that somehow, and, and I want to try to now to bring this into our culture and into our day, and we're still going to step out of King James pages for just a moment, and we're going to walk down the, the, the aisles of our own lives and into our own homes. The idea that making disciples was something that was optional in the New Testament believers never occurred to the first century believers of the Lord. The idea that somehow someone else does all the discipleship stuff was not even a thought to the first century believers. Somewhere along the line, I have no idea where, but somewhere along the line, Christianity bought into this false idea that it's just a small group of saints in every church that are tethered to the great commission of go make disciples of all nations. That's for the outreach ministry, and that's for this ministry, or that's for that ministry. Amen. This concept, I believe, carries a lot of incorrect ideas about discipleship. 
ideas that say it's just the missionaries and evangelists and pastors and teachers, they are the only ones that are commissioned to go make disciples. Or maybe those that are in the church that are just real extroverts. I mean, they just have that overflowing personality. They've never met a stranger in their life. We're going to just tether them to the Great Commission. Or maybe it's just to those radical people who just can't be quiet. They just gotta, they just gotta talk about it everywhere they go. We're gonna tether them to the Great Commission. But the rest of the congregation can just let their light shine on their job. We can just do our little deal wherever we decide that we're gonna do it. Amen. But I'm I'm going to tell you today that that is not true. That is not true. And I said Wednesday night that if you are struggling in any area of your walk with God, I challenge you to start teaching home Bible studies. I challenge you to open your Bible. I challenge you to get a to whatever whatever method or whatever mechanical thing we can put in your hand to help guide you in a home Bible study. There's something about teaching the truth of God's word that will not only show light to a brand new convert, but it'll confirm that light It will confirm that light in your own life. Praise God. I I, want to just credit our modern apostolic movement because I believe that we have rediscovered what the first century already understood. The first century church already understood a reality, amen, that every believer... Every believer in the house of God is called to the ministry. You've heard me for 30 plus years say that there's not just a handful of ministers in the church, but everybody that's sitting on a pew today, everybody that is a member of this church is a minister in this church. Amen. We are all called to the ministry. We can't just relegate soul winning. We can't just relegate discipleship to a few people and think that we're going to just be okay doing our own thing. Paul said to Timothy that we need to study to show ourselves. Amen. We need to study to not be ashamed. We need to study so that we can rightly divide the word of God. We need to study. We need to study the word of the Lord. We need to hide that in our heart. The term minister should never be relegated to just those and pardon this, pardon my, my, phrase here but I'm just trying to draw a line to differentiate but the term minister should never be relegated to just professional clergy it's actually an action word in the book of Acts originally all believers served all believers went everywhere preaching the word Amen. It's it's in your Bible. It's not just in mine. All believers were baptized. We know emphatically that it was not just the twelve. Uh, it was not just the twelve apostles that were baptizing people on the day of Pentecost. In Acts two forty one, Acts two forty one makes a stunning announcement that three thousand people were added to the church in one day. Amen. That has to mean that, that they were all baptized in the name of the Lord on the day of Pentecost. So just think about it. That the Holy Spirit fell as Paul, as, as Simon Peter preached the first gospel message. 3,000 people received the Holy Ghost at some point in that message. Maybe while he was preaching. Maybe it happened after he was preaching. But then they began to baptize those 3,000 people. Now, if only 12 people were doing all the baptizing, how long do you think it would take 12 people to baptize 3,000 
people. Amen. I believe the only way this happened was that the apostles themselves started baptizing. Amen. And they started commissioning those that they had baptized. Now you start baptizing. Amen. Now you start baptizing. Is this too far out of the box for you today? Amen. I believe that we ought to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when we get the Holy Ghost, we shouldn't put that in a box, put it on a mantle, hide it behind some glass pane, put some spotlights on it. But I believe we ought to keep that fire out of the box and in our heart and tell it wherever we go. Now that you've got it, the Bible says of Paul, he said, what has been committed to you, now you commit that into the heart and the minds and the lives of other faithful people. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. And so what happened? As 12 baptized and then others begin to baptize, every one of them are making disciples. They're making disciples. Not making disciples to go do your own thing, but make disciples unto the Lord. Amen. We're not going to ever see first century results until we start acting like the first century church. We can't just, we can't just act like a few people have this responsibility I'll use Brother Trail here. He's close. He moved up here today, so I, he didn't realize he brought a target with him. <laughs> Brother Trail does such a wonderful job around here keeping the lawn maintenance of our church just up to par and, and, and above. But he can't just say, well, my job is to mow the grass, and so I don't ever have to witness anybody. I don't have to ever make a disciple because I do this. And several people sitting in this building today have titles in our church, responsibilities in our church, certain responsibilities within the church. And they can say, well, that's my job. And so that, that just uh, excludes me from having to do anything that the preacher's talking about today because I'm this leader or I'm that leader or I'm this helper or I'm that helper. No, no, no. Amen. Long before those titles ever came along, the moment we received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, a call was placed on us to be a disciple praise God there is no biblical mandate for only credentialed ministers to baptize or even to preach all of us are preachers all of us amen I'm going to tell you if you were on vacation somewhere and you met somebody and began to witness to them amen and they desired to be baptized and you're in Arizona don't call me Call me and tell me the results. But, but don't call me with the airfare itinerary. Don't call me and tell me what time to be at the airport. Amen. We have all been called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that every apostolic saint of God should feel empowered and then released to do the work of the ministry. Praise God. We, were, we, we have to follow this pattern. And I believe if we follow the pattern that the Lord has set before us, we would experience exponential growth. Amen. Within our own local church and the churches around our world. Amen. Because making disciples should not just be viewed as one of the ministries of the church. Making disciples is not a department like children's ministry or student ministry or music ministry. Because when it comes to making disciples, it cannot be relegated to, to one department or to just a one ministry. We're all called to make disciples. And so that's why you work on the job you work. That's why you live in the neighborhood you live in. If we believe that the steps of a good person, a good man is ordered of the Lord, then we are where we are. And sometimes we're in uncomfortable places. 
And we're so busy trying to get out of the uncomfortable place that we don't realize that the Lord has put us there for a reason. Amen. I, I don't want to get into it again today, but I'm, I'm telling you that my wife and I have broke down in our vehicle. And, and the sole purpose of breaking down, we found out later, was to witness to the man driving the wrecker that come to pick us up. So before we get out there and throw our hat on the ground, <laughs> we may want to look and see if God may not be a part of this. Amen. Some, sometimes people feel like making disciples is not their calling or their gifting. And so because of that, they lay that responsibility in the lap of someone else and say, we're going to pray for you. No, no, no. No one has more influence with your friends than you do. That's right. You have a sphere of influence around you that I will never have. I will never have that. I wasn't supposed to have that. And so God put you in their life to be a voice and, 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 to, uh, and to show them the way. Their thinking is that sometime, if we, you know, we'll just find some other area of the church to work in and, and we'll exercise our gift over here. But, but possessing one or more spiritual gifts has nothing to do with the call to make disciples. It's two different things. So we can't say, well, I am, I just hate to call names here because people think I'm talking about them. But, you know, because I, am, I lead such and such ministry, then I don't, I'm, I don't have, I'm excluded from the responsibility to make disciples. But that's false. Because we're called to make disciples before we're called to do anything else. Romans 12 gives a, a list of, of seven spiritual gifts within the body of Christ, prophesying, serving, teaching, exhorting, giving, administration, mercy. And, and listed among this is not disciples making. And I believe that's intentional because disciple making is first. That's first and foremost. All of these gifts are for building up and edifying the body of Christ, but making disciples is a mandate of the mission that Jesus Christ gave to all born-again believers. Now, um, I've, I've, got to, I've got to hurry here, but while... I am very thankful for our times of corporate worship. I, I'm telling you that I've encouraged just walking in the side door of the building coming into this sanctuary today. When I walked in today, I just I felt and heard the hearty talk and the laughter of people that enjoy being in the presence of one another. There's something healthy about those sounds. I'd be a little intimidated if I walked in here and everybody was sitting stone quiet and their arms folded, nobody looking at each other and had a furrowed frown on their face. But I didn't walk into that today. I walked into what sounded like a healthy family that said, man, it's, it's been so long since we... It's just been a few days, but it's good to see you again. Good to see you again. I'm thankful for our times of corporate worship and I am not minimizing what happens and when we come together and we come together for our corporate services. But I want to tell you that discipleship doesn't happen here. Discipleship happens when we leave this house and we each and every one respond to the Great Commission Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We respond to the Great Commission of the Lord. In the minds of some 
they have many options regarding how they want to live their lives, spend their time, and invest their finances. But, but true disciples don't have that option. They understand the concept of what Jesus was saying, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following the Lord. In Matthew 6 and 24, Jesus said, and this scripture was mentioned this morning, that no man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. Neither can we. We cannot serve God in the world. We cannot serve God in our flesh. And we cannot serve God in our own idea or concept of what it means to be a follower. In Luke 14, Jesus made it clear that his followers would need to submit themselves and, and submit themselves in every other relationship. And then he spells it out in bloody fashion. Mother, father, brothers, sisters, children. I think to make a point. He wasn't trying to divide families or divide loyalties. He was just trying to make a point that you have got to put something between you and this because you see we're all have that proclivity to make excuses. Well, I would come to the wedding, but I would do this, but I, I would be involved, but amen. But they were going to be required to forsake it all. And so have you ever considered what, you know, we read the passage of Scripture that talks about losing your life. Man, we read that as fast as we possibly can. So we don't want to think about that. If we lose our life, we gain it. And so to answer that question, we need to find the model in Jesus Christ because he gave up everything. And I don't think we would argue that. He gave up everything for us. He gave up over half of his life expectancy because he died at 33 and a half years old. As well as giving up his right to a family, his right to pursue his vocation, and he laid down his life on a cross. And this is what it meant. This is what he meant when he said, If you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. So we have to reconsider our previous thought process. It must mean that giving up our lives for the lost people that God places in our path. I'm going to tell you that, that helping make disciples of people is a lot of work. You've got to invest time. And you know where that time's going to come from? It's going to come out of your calendar. You've got, you got, you got to invest energy. And you know where that's going to come from? That's going to come from your own energy bank. You've got to invest finances. And you know where that's going to come from? That's going to come from your own wallet and bank account. Amen. We have got to give up our own personal prayers. God help me. God touch me. God save me. God bless me. We got to give up our personal prayers and start praying over the lost people that we know. Amen. Up and down the streets of our community and people that we work with. Amen. They know nothing about the Lord. I got to stop praying for me long enough to start praying for them. Amen. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These are the things he said, I'll add, I'll take care of that. I'll add that to your life. And so how do we accomplish this? I believe that, that we've got to give up personal finances to be able to, to say to someone, hey, let's meet for lunch. Amen. Let's, let's just meet for lunch because you know what? We need to first build a bridge and make a friend Someone first must trust you as an individual before they're going to hear the message that you've got to, to, to say. We've got to give up personal time instead of staying. There's, there's a lot of people that would rather be home doing their own thing when they're out witnessing to somebody or out reaching somebody else. It doesn't mean that the grass in their yard's not growing. 
doesn't mean that the dirty laundry pile in their house is not growing. Amen. But we got it. But you know what? What we give to God, He will bless you. And if we believe that if we give financially, God will bless us financially, and we believe that, I'm going to tell you one more time. If you'll give your time that you think you don't have, God will bless your time. If you'll give some energy you think you don't have, God will bless your energy. You say, well, I work this many hours a week. I do this, I do that. I'm gonna tell you, just trust God. He said, prove me now and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven. Amen, I know that scripture is talking about finances, but I'm gonna tell you that God has refreshed even today in this building, God has touched the strength and the energy of some that you maybe you'd have felt like, I don't know if I can make it today, but you just reached down by the bootstraps. You pulled yourself up and you're here today. And can I tell you that you already feel better physically? Amen, because God is honoring what you gave to him. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The cost of making disciples is high. Making disciples will consume your calendar. It'll deplete your energy. It'll cause you to give sacrificially. But when we do it unto the Lord. Now, I, I, I just must not pass over something today. Jesus said something very unusual in his prayer in John 17. And, and if we're not careful, we can miss the real power of this closing segment of his prayer. In John 17 and 4, Jesus says this. He said, I have finished the work. Now, if you're a student of the word of God, that could be confusing. To say, I have finished the work because he has not yet suffered, bled, or died. This is before he buried and was rose again, and this is certainly before he uttered, it is finished. He uttered, it is finished on the cross, but in John 17 and 4, he said, I have finished the work. So what work is he talking about? The answer to that question is found, I believe, in the narrative of his prayer, because most of Jesus' prayer in John 17 is dedicated to, to intercession over his disciples. Are you with me now? He prayed in verse 11. I'm going to read this out of the New King James. I want you to get it. He prayed in John 17, 11, Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. <laughs> are, you, are you with me now? Jesus said, I'm, I'm no longer in the world. But these, these are in the world. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those who you gave me entrusted me with, I have kept. None of them have I lost. Now it appears that the work he is referring to is the finished work of making disciples. I'm finished. I can go now. They have it. They've got their minds around it. They've got their heart around it. And you know, he was right. They were so devoted till each of them but one died a martyr's death 
for the sake of the gospel. So Jesus wasn't just saying, I'm done. He said, I am finished. I have finished the work. They've gotten it. Each of them have a personal revelation of this wonderful truth and I can trust them to march forward with it. And so can I tell you today that our work is not done until we can say we have finished the work. So I challenge us today individually. Can you put your hand in somebody's hand and say, I personally won this person to the Lord. When we get to heaven, how many people will be there that we personally, I told you this morning when I started that I'm coming right down your driveway and I'm going to knock on every heart's door, including mine. When we get to heaven, how many people are going to be there as a direct result of the fact that we invested time and effort and energy and they sat at our dining table in our home or at a table in a restaurant and we broke open the word of God and we taught them and we shared with them and when they got discouraged we called and encouraged them when they were confused we had patience and we reached and we touched them and taught them I'm not asking you how many times have you driven the church van to a camp I'm not asking you how many times have you cut the grass or how many times have you vacuumed the carpet? I'm not asking you how many song services have you led? How many times have you played the piano? I'm not asking you how many Sunday years have you been a Sunday school teacher? Is this all right? Nobody got any tomatoes in your hand, do you? Because the preacher's preaching truth today. Truth. What's going to matter? In the end, and we're not going to be able to say we have finished the work until we ourselves have made sure that somebody else has this in their hands. You know, um, I don't want to preach past the moment here. I'll ask you to stand. That'll make you feel better. But to every parent or guardian or adult that has ever had the opportunity or the responsibility to teach a young person how to drive. Some of you parents remember when your children got their restricted drivers and they got their operator's driver's license. And at some point, at some point, they pulled out of your driveway alone. The only thing on your mind then was whether or not you had gotten all the safety issues across. Have I, have I done an adequate job? I believe there are parents that, that understand at that moment when that blinker turns and they, they leave the driveway, they're going to be all right. They're going to be all right. For Jesus to say, I've finished the work. I'm going to leave, but they're here. It's all going to be all right. And the gospel was spread so much so that you and I are hearing it today. <laughs> he was right. 
He, he wasn't being egotistical. He wasn't intoxicated on his own results. He said, I have finished the work. I've made some disciples. And you know what? They've made some disciples. And you know what? They're going to make disciples. And they're going to make disciples. And they're going to make disciples. Somebody came before us. That's why we're here. But if somebody doesn't come after us, there's no hope for the next generation. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I love you today. Oh, God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you today, God. I thank you today, God, for the hope that we find in your truth. Help us this day to hide this word in our heart. Help us today, God, to tuck away the power of this truth in our lives. Help us to never be dissuaded, God, and pushed away from the power of your truth and the hope of your word. But strengthen us now in your mighty hand. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you take just a few moments this morning and would you greet some of our guests and greet one another? Amen. Just let the Lord, amen, develop and and, uh, refresh our relationship here today. Greet one another in Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.